They told me I use my mouth good. So I started a podcast. should move on to a book that you found more value in, which is, he's just not that into you. The No Excuses Truth to Understanding Guys. And again, this is another book that is marketed towards probably single heterosexual women. women. Alright, so we're gonna dive into this book, which was really popular, and we're hearing about this a while back, called He's Just Not That Into You. And why would he be? Because you're a fat ass bitch, right? <laughs> no, oh, God. no, I'm just kidding. According to the, I'm coming off reading the rules, which was like, don't eat that cookie. He's just not that into you was a very popular book, I guess, in the early 2000s. It was written by somebody who worked on the show Sex in the City. And a lot of the, it's kind of like a Q&A style book about like, hey, I'm dating this guy. Can you give me advice about like decoding his behavior? And usually, like, spoiler, if you have to decode his behavior, he's just not that into you. <laughs> and so it goes through a lot of examples and, intro- and introductions and stuff. And it basically says, if you have to keep making excuses for a man, you really should just move on. Like, if somebody's really into you, they are going to make it clear that they want to spend time with you and nothing is going to stop them from being with you from, you know, returning your calls, from being the first one to call you, from having sex with you, from committing to you, and blah, 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 blah. And I think a lot of the advice in this book can be gender neutral, too. It's geared towards heterosexual... Single women. Single women. But I found a lot of the advice, I kind of skimmed over some of these things. Um, I found it to be fairly, you know, fair for anyone that you would be interested in. I agree. That was one of my first thoughts as I read this book was that, you know, just flip the gender or take it out, you know, just say they're just not into you. Like a lot of this behavior applies to all genders of people. If they're really just not that, nobody wants to hurt somebody's feelings, especially someone that they like a a little bit enough to care about hurting their feelings, but not enough to spend the rest of their life with or anything, right? Nobody wants to hurt that person's feelings or directly say, 
yeah, I'm just kind of like meh on you. I'm not really that into you. You're kind of like my second or third choice, but not really my first choice. Um, nobody wants to come out and say that. And so they don't. They say things that make it really confusing. Like, oh, yeah, of course I like you. I want to see you again. You should call me. I'll, you know, blah, blah, blah. They text you when they're drunk or two in the morning or something. <laughs> but then um, they're always too busy to like hang out or they cancel plans at the last minute. Their actions don't align with what they're telling you. That's right. The actions speak louder than words always. And so this book is all is a lot about, you know, basically paying attention to the actions instead of the words. And this book actually, I found this book really helpful in um, processing or like getting over a situation in my past where I was a lot more into somebody who was not a man. <laughs> it was, uh, she was a woman. <laughs> than she was into me. And I found this like super helpful in just understanding like, okay, she just wasn't that into me. And that's the simple explanation. And it really yeah. made me feel a lot better because I didn't have to like be confused about it anymore. And that's really, I really think that's just what was going on. And I can totally accept that. Yeah. And people are complicated and sometimes they are just very, very busy with life or they're going through a lot of personal issues or something like that. Like I can definitely say the last few years of my life have been ridiculous layers of complication Yeah, in every area of my life, whether it was, you know, with partners or my job or just personal things I was dealing with, my health issues, things like that. So sometimes you just go through a rough patch and <laughs> you really are just, you're trying to keep everything together and all of that. But even so, I did find that, you know, people I was into, I was still able to carve out time for them. And there were some maybe other connections I could have had that just kind of fell by the wayside. And yeah, and that's okay. I mean, you know, I, I hate confrontation myself. It's very hard for me to, but I've gotten better with it as I get older, but it used to be very hard for me to tell someone that I wasn't that into them. Oh my God. Same here. I, I was thinking as I was reading this book of several times when I've done this to someone where like they were clearly more interested in me than I was interested in them. And I didn't tell them that directly. I just kind of like, stop texting them or, you know, like I would say, oh, yeah, 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 we should get together. We should make plans. But I would never follow through on making plans, you know. And look, look, we know like everybody's busy more than ever now. Now more than ever, people are super busy with their jobs. And a lot of people do have complicated situations, but often they don't last forever. And they don't keep you apart from a person that you really genuinely want to see and want to spend time with, like you said, MK, like you, if you really like someone, you will carve out time to talk to them and see them. Yeah. So let's kind of go through the, I, I, I really like this section. So it's written, what, what I like about this book is it's written by two people, both were writers on Sex in the City, and it kind of gives two slightly different perspectives on things, which I kind of like. But I love this section that says, you are all dating the same guy. <laughs> and I believe this is by Greg. Um, and he goes, hey, I know that guy you're dating. Yeah, I do. He's that guy that's so tired from work, so stressed about the project he's working on. He's just been through an awful breakup, and it's really hitting him hard. His parents' divorce has scarred him, and he has trust issues. Right now, he has to focus on his career. He can't get involved with anyone until he knows what his life is about. He just got a new apartment, and the move is a bitch. As soon as it all calms down, he'll leave his wife. 
girlfriend, crappy job. God, he's so complicated. (laughs) He is a man made up entirely of your excuses. And this is the real kicker, your excuses. I mean, he may have these excuses, but a lot of times, because we do want to assume the best of people, we'll make up excuses for people. I've done this before. Totally. It's good to to check myself on it. (laughs) I know. Ever since I read this now, when I notice somebody making an excuse for somebody else, I'll say it. No. You're making an excuse for them. I said it to you. I love it. It's it's so great because I can come up with so many excuses. I'm a very imaginative person when it comes to excuses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I can just continue making excuses forever. We all want to be optimistic, especially when it comes to people that we like. You know, we want to believe that they have the best intentions and give them the benefit of the doubt. But you actually have to approach dating with a lot more cynical and skeptical perspective. But not not cynical and skeptical like oh i hate all men or women or envies or whatever i hate all people you know not like that but just like basically assume that they're not the one for you and they're really not that into you and they don't deserve to be dating you until they prove otherwise and there's no conflicting evidence to the contrary and one thing about the one this is also written to people who are generally seeking out monogamous arrangements. Yeah, so are, yeah. some of the advice, this is why I maybe said earlier in the podcast it might be problematic. I, that was a bit of a joke, but I this is clearly written from the assumption that you're going to be in, in a monogamous relationship with someone which not everyone might be interested in. Not so. everyone wants that, but at the same time, I think that it's this is a dating self-help book. And so the people who are going to be likely to be reading this are probably not like, oh, I want a polyamorous relationship. Like they're probably struggling with just finding one relationship Mm -hmm. and they just want to make it simple. And so I think monogamy, one of the advantages of monogamy is that it does, it makes things really simple. And it's like, there are clear rules like, okay, you don't cheat on your partner if you're with somebody else in a sexual or romantic capacity, or both, that's cheating on your partner. If you're married to somebody, you don't date anybody else at the same time. So I think I, th- I think they're just trying to make it simple. And also, like, I think well, if you stretch... Most people just are monogamous, you know, they, they haven't Most people maybe are looking for monogamous to- relationships, yeah maybe deconstruct some of that stuff or they're just not interested for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stereotypes kind of around that that maybe we can break down later. You know, I mean, I do have an issue with this idea of there being the one for everyone. Like there's one person that you're going to find. I think that can set you up for failure and you can kind of lose perspective with things and you can miss out on some very nurturing, loving relationships with people. I agree. You know, I in that, but I agree. Thinking that there's just one person for you out there in the world, like no, <laughs> I think there's potentially many compatible people that you could have a relationship with. Maybe for some people, there's there's not many people that they could be compatible with. But to think that everybody has this one soulmate and they could be like located anywhere on the planet, and it's like, okay, go find them. You know, that's wrong. (laughs) It can be stressful. It can be stressful. Yeah. But you know, I do think this book can be broadly applicable to people in different relationship scenarios. I agree. Yeah, because it still applies. Like if you're in a non-monogamous relationship someone could still be giving you signals that they're just not that into you. 
someone could be asking for a non-monogamous relationship because they're not that into you and they don't want to tell you directly. That too. Not always, but they could be. Right. They could be. And that's that can be an issue. You, you know, it's it can be kind of difficult to parse through that when you do start bringing in other partners. That does add a layer of complexity over everything, and you have to work very hard on yourself and do a lot of self reflection. And also, I would say, find some good resources for communication. Which communication is the foundation for any, any relationship, relationship you have, mm. whether it's romantic or otherwise. You want to be able to clearly communicate your needs to people. And I think there's just not enough focus on that. There's a focus on trying to add relationships to your life, but maybe you haven't spent the time to work on the foundation of how do you even clearly communicate your needs to people, whether you want to be monogamous or polyamorous. Absolutely. Another thing that constantly comes up for me when I think about non-monogamous relationships is this, there's a saying in polyamorous people have that's something like, you know, love is an ocean, not a bathtub, right? Like love is unlimited. Your heart has infinite capacity to love many people. You know, there's not like, it's not a zero, love isn't a zero sum game essentially, but time is is limited, right? Love may be infinite, that might be true, but time is finite. And you only have so much of it, and you can only make so much of it. And so I do think there's also something to be said with balancing those two things. Like, you might potentially love or be compatible with a lot of people, but you only have so many hours in the day and so much energy to spend on relationships. And maybe some of that energy has to go towards your job or towards like healing from your own traumas or towards other things in your life or your children or like other things in your life. And so how much time do you actually have to devote to relationships that is going to create the depth in that relationship that you really want to have is is a question that I've always struggled with, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we're both close to around the same with how we identify. We're a bisexual, polyamorous people. Uh, I maybe call, you wouldn't wouldn't use polyamory to describe. Well, I don't know what to call myself. I, I, I embrace the bisexual label, yes. But and I called myself polyamorous for years. And I've spent a lot of time reading about it and thinking about it, by the way. But it doesn't feel completely right to me. Like, literally, the only reason I would consider myself polyamorous is because I'm bisexual. And there's just always something about like, whenever I have a partner, you know, there's something missing from that other gender expression that I can't get in one person. And I don't know, I, I've never wanted to seek out more than well, (laughs) I don't want to talk about this too much. But yeah, basically, I don't think more than two partners would ever be something that will work for me. I I kind of just want like one of each, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I say bisexual. Really, I more I'm more accurately pansexual because yeah. I find myself attracted to people of any gender. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people tend to have a type, you know. What, no matter who they're kind of attracted to, maybe they kind of have a type. And I haven't been able to zero in on a type <laughs> for myself. And this has kind of been my experience throughout much of my life is I find myself attracted to a very broad range of people who've had very different experiences. So, and I'm still learning a lot. I'm learning a lot about myself. And I guess, 
Yeah, when it comes to dating and stuff like that, I, I haven't really actively dated much in my life. I've never felt the need to seek out a partner because I never, I either was already in a relationship or I didn't feel like anything was missing from my life, mm -hmm. partner wise, or I was focusing on other things in my life. Yeah. Same here. I've never really had a problem like meeting people for relationships. It just seems to happen organically. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And most of my relationships have come out of friendships I've had with people. Yeah. I have to, you know, maybe connect on some kind of friendship level before things kind of progress. So I've never really actively dated. And I think that kind of limits my perspective with this. And this is not a book that's maybe geared towards people in that. This is geared towards people who are looking, actively looking for some kind of partnership in their life, some kind of romantic partnership mm -hmm. in their life. And they're dating and they're and having people trouble like meeting that, candidates. Think. Yeah, it is hard. It's really difficult. Mm -hmm. It is. It is difficult. And all these issues are are difficult. And by the way, like I, I totally recognize more than two genders. Just want to make that clear. I don't call myself pansexual because I tend to be more attracted to like the extremes of masculinity and femininity. So there's kind of, it's, it's closer to two genders. I wouldn't rule out somebody who didn't describe themselves as masculine or feminine or wasn't super one or the other, but I don't know. I just think bisexual is simpler and yeah, it does. People it understand simpler. what it means and, and it, I feel kind of feel like it does describe me better than pansexual. And there's so much baggage and stuff with bisexual as a term too like oh, even yeah. even Everybody coming hates out bisexuals <laughs> you, you definitely get the short end of the stick being a bisexual because you have straight people and uh, uh people. queer people kind of skeptical of you mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and thankfully i think this is getting better over time but it's still a bit of an issue and you also have this kind of invisibility in a lot of places too that's not i, I wouldn't say is necessarily beneficial to you definitely you oh, know yeah. there, people think so it's a much privilege to be built. passing for straight but if it actually like erases who you really are it's not a privilege you know right for example and this is again i mean i'm i am speaking from a fairly privileged position i have had queer friends and i had i i love the term queer to describe myself yeah i like it, queer too. gender wise or sexuality wise i think queer is a really good catch-all term so as it's a not queer very person. specific, but it's good. Well, <laughs> exactly, which I, I'm fine with. Like, it is kind of like an umbrella term for things. Internally, I've kind of always known I was a queer person, gender-wise or sexuality-wise. And I've had friends who identified as gay or lesbian who've gone through really horrible things as far as, like, coming out to their parents. Mm -hmm. And so their experience in coming out is fraught with a lot of violence or sometimes disappointment or a lot of emotional turmoil and or being I, outed before they were ready yeah maybe, you know when i came out to my parents it was more like they just didn't believe me it was more of like a dismissal mm -hmm. of my sexuality it's just kind of uh, my mom you know like it's kind of like all right that's all whatever when are you gonna find a man to like settle down with and mm -hmm. have kids with like yeah. she i don't think she's fully accepted that bisexual is even a thing or pansexual is a thing. I, I don't need i didn't even use the term pansexual because mm -hmm. it it's even more obscure and harder to explain 
to older generations that like I just suck with bisexual and even that is seen as something that's just kind of dismissed or you're only you know one or the other if you're dating a man you're only straight and you know if you're dating women you're only gay and it's, people kind of want you to choose sides as if there are just two sides to anything like nothing right. is binary in life everything yeah. pretty much exists on a spectrum haven't we learned that by now Apparently you think <laughs> but society has a lot of catching up to do but we kind of went off on a whole tangent there so i'm oh, going to yeah. bring it back to the book yeah so let's start with the first kind of this is a different set of rules you yeah know? that's right this is a better set of rules i think <laughs> and uh <laughs> one of the first ones is Number one is he's just not that into you if he's not asking you out. Yeah, so that sounds that sounds pretty good. That. If someone wants to be with you, they want to spend time with you. They want to make that effort to be in your presence. Be your in your presence. presence. And the the author kind of makes this distinction between just hanging out with people and actually going on a date. Mm. And I think especially with the generation that we come from, hanging out is a pretty common way. And it's kind of in this ambiguous way. I found it to be ambiguous with people. Like I haven't been asked out on many dates, you know, but mm-hmm. I have hung out with someone for an extended period of time and then that turned into a relationship. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, here's a pretty easy litmus test, right? If it's in a group setting, you're hanging out. If it's the two of you alone, spending time together alone, that's more like a date. (laughs) And see, I don't even like to put that expectation on people, I guess. And this may just be, I think a lot of people are kind of in this mindset. Because again, it's a bit of, it's adding like a layer of complexity and maybe adding a label to something that you're not ready to put a label on. Because there's so much gray area when you're getting to know someone. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know, sometimes people get to know others in group situations to find out if they would want to spend more time with them one-on-one. And also, like, just because two people hang out one-on-one, it could be completely platonic. It could be your best friend or something, and it's not a, a romantic or sexual relationship, you know? Yeah, I never assume if I'm spending time with someone one-on-one that it's a date. Mm-hmm because I'm not going to put any kind of pressure on them. (laughs) Like, and even if I am interested, like there are people that I've spent time with that I was definitely interested in, but I didn't want to, I don't know. It feels really formal (laughs) to call it a date, doesn't it? It feels like, okay, all of a sudden now we have to follow this formulaic approach to, we're basically boarding the relationship escalator, right? Now we're going on a date and then next is going to be the second date and then the third date and then we have to have sex and or the relationship's over. And then once we have sex, we start seeing each other once a week and we maybe spend the night at each other's place, blah, 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 blah. Pretty soon we're married and have a couple of kids and then we die. You know, yes. it's like... <laughs> We've seen this movie before, and it seems like you're like stepping on that train, you know, when you call it, which is when you call it a date. So feel free to do things your own way, whatever works for you, you know. I think, again, like in this book, they're, they're really trying to just, by sticking to the formula, I think they're kind of trying to keep it simple. They're trying to appeal to a broader range of people. Yeah. Uh, because you used a term, relationship escalator, that is, I mean, polyamory is already a niche thing that's like a solo polyamory term which is like even more niche which like of course 
I would find the nichest thing you can possibly be and you, like practice. You found that. out about the relationship escalator and, rela- and, and told I was me like, about it. Oh my god, it blew my mind. It's a blog so post and a book. And yeah, who came up with it originally? Do you know? Uh, Aggie says okay. um, is is her name. Or she goes by Aggie says. It's not her real name, but she is a writer and and blogger and she's on podcasts and stuff too. She's kind of come up with this idea. I mean, maybe she isn't the only one who's come up with it, but solo polyamory, which is an approach to polyamory where you have a lot of individual autonomy and you choose to not cohabitate with people and you choose to live a very independent life as if you're almost a single person and the idea of the relationship escalator is the idea that relationships have to go in this kind of linear fashion and and it's not always it's it's assumed that it will go in this linear fashion instead of stopping at each point and negotiating that kind of escalation Mm -hmm. and i think it's really important to be conscious when you're in a relationship with anyone this i think can totally apply to monogamous relationships too that it's not just assumed things are going to lead to marriage and children. Yeah, that's right. That's a very kind of, I mean, for lack of a better term, like heteronormative cultural assumption that oh, that's yeah. where that that's what everybody wants. And that's, that's where every relationship wants. should be heading towards the model of marriage. And, yeah. and, and yeah, that's not a given for everybody. Those who have actually taken the time to think about it. Um, or maybe, maybe you just felt like, that you didn't quite fit the mold, you know, <laughs> like it yeah. seemed like everyone around you is getting married, coupling off and getting married. And you just thought, well, do I really want to do that? Maybe I just don't want a relationship. Well, maybe you do still want some kind of relationships, but you just want to have them more on your own terms. And you don't want to necessarily follow that formula that everybody else seems to be following. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So if you're at all interested in those ideas, definitely recommend reading at least the the blog and if not the whole book about the relationship escalator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called Stepping Off the Relationship Escalator. I found it really useful and it talks about a lot of different relationship configurations too, not just solo polyamory. It draws in a lot of feedback from a lot of people who practice different forms of polyamory or non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy. And I found it really useful. I, I'll put a link in the show notes because I think it's just a really invaluable resource for consciously approaching any relationship mm-hmm. you're in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so kind of going back to this point, and, and the way this book is formatted, it's formatted in letters. So someone is writing to these writers saying, hey, I have this specific situation, and can you tell me, you know, is this Decode this guy's me? behavior. Decode yeah. this guy's behavior. And the gist of it is, like, there's not much to decode. Right. If someone's not making the effort to, after hanging out for so long, if they're not making the effort to spend more, like, intimate time with you and kind of navigating that and you, it is an escalation you, it is you know mm-hmm. whether it's conscious or not maybe there is an escalation of behavior if someone is really into you mm-hmm. they're going to carve out time for you yeah absolutely and if you're just making excuses for them perhaps you're in denial <laughs> about how much they actually like you yeah and uh so this this letter writer is talking about this is a very ambiguous situation this is a writer named jody and they go i'm so disappointed i have this friend i've known platonically for about 10 years he lives in a different city and recently he was in town for work so we met for dinner all of a sudden it felt like we were on a date he was completely flirting with me he even said to me as he was checking me out 
So what, you're working with the whole model thing now? And she goes, that's flirting, right? We both agreed that we should get together again soon. Well, Greg, I'm disappointed because it's been two weeks and he hasn't called me. Can I call him? He might be nervous about turning the friendship into romance. Can't I give him a nudge now? Isn't that what friends are for? So she, you can hear her already formulating Making excuses. The excuses. Yep. And he gives a really good response. <laughs> Dear friendly girl, two weeks is two weeks, except when it's ten years in two weeks. That's how long ago he decided whether or not he could date a model or a girl who looks like one. Can you be a pal and give him a nudge? Nudge away, friendster, but watch how fast that nudge doesn't get a return phone call. And if your dinner date did feel different to him, it's been two weeks and he's had time to think about it and decide that he's just not that into you. Here's the truth. Guys don't mind messing up a friendship if it could lead to sex, whether it be a fuck buddy situation or a meaningful romance. Go find someone that lives in your zip code who will be rocked to the core by your deep conversation and model looks. And he goes on to say, after this, I hate to tell you, but the whole I don't want to ruin the friendship excuse is a racket. It works so well because it seems so wise. Sex could mess up a friendship. Unfortunately, in the entire history of mankind, that excuse has never, ever been used by someone who actually means it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think that is so often bullshit. I mean, I guess I've I said, I mean, I, I have believed that before. Like, I have had friendships where I, there was some degree of sexual attraction there and i was i had some apprehension but eventually you do kind of stop caring you right. know if you are actually really into someone it's Same gonna progress to a kind of physical level unless you're asexual or something like that that's that's different i don't want to or unless the, any. the attraction is one-sided as well or yeah. unless the attraction is one-sided yeah um, not, not every relationship you know romantic relationship has to have sex but most people are, are not asexual and they yeah i mean it's yeah sex could and often does kind of mess up a friendship but, but if also you really like you the person friends with someone you've had sex with totally <laughs> and if you really like the person it's not going to stop you if you like each other it's not going to stop you like you might talk about fears that it might mess up the friendship and you might express that but you're still going to go ahead and have sex if you really like each other that much yeah. and decide it's worth risking screwing up the friendship <laughs> <laughs> let's see let's move on to another section because he's, he's going through different excuses right now. This is, these are all excuses for he's not that into you if he's not asking you out. But there's other chapters like he's not that into you if he's not having sex with you. That's that's one that could be problematic, right? Well, <laughs> if you're asexual. If right? you're asexual, yeah. Like, well, well do you want to jump ahead to that one instead? Or do oh. you want to? So we're going to jump ahead to... Since we were just talking about the subject, the it's chapter four. He's just not that into you if he's not having sex with you. Which this is one of those things. This, it, it may apply to a large percentage of people, but maybe not everyone. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, and this is, this is uh, yeah, a problematic thing. He's saying, when men like you, they want to touch you always. And that's building in a lot of gendered assumptions about men that Definitely, they, that that they always, always have to have want sex. sex and we covered an article i believe it was in sex and science hour about men who had admitted that they had unwanted sex and it's actually a pretty large percentage of men who've had unwanted sex mm -hmm. and their gendered assumptions built into that but there's also that they don't want to seem 
they don't want to turn someone down, they don't want to hurt their feelings, stuff like that. So this is a chapter that I don't necessarily agree with. I don't like thinking of men as always be being driven by their sexual desire. I agree. I, I thought it was a little bit problematic, honestly, because of that, because it may not be true for everybody. However, this book is assuming that the people reading it are looking for a sexual relationship. It's assuming that it's being read by single women who want a relationship where there is sex. And if, you know, if the person that they're considering being in a relationship with is not also interested in sex, or if there's a big sexual mismatch, that is going to be a problem. Right. You want to gauge that based on the individual person that you're with. I mean, if you're both not asexual and you do have that kind of sexual desire, you want you want to be matched with someone who probably has maybe the same level of sexual desire because it's yeah. it's gonna you're gonna run into a lot of problems if you're mismatched. In that area. Well, tons. But the problem is that often our sex drives for any gender fluctuate over the course of our life Mm -hmm. because of health issues, because of age, because of hormones, because of life circumstances. So they can ebb and flow. And someone that you at one time were very well matched with in terms of your desire for sex, that can turn into a mismatch quickly if your desire levels go in opposite directions. And so I guess... If I wouldn't you can rule neg- out you basically like I don't think you can rule out that someone's not that into you if they their sexual desire maybe shifts a little bit. Again, look at their actions and what they're doing, but it doesn't always have to be about sex or romantic relationship. While it usually is sexual, it doesn't always have to be based on that foundation. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for a sexual relationship and you make that clear and you're not getting it or you you know it was one way basically if you've never gotten your sexual needs met maybe that's not the best person for you to be in a relationship with mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's something that takes a lot of effort you know and and reflection yeah again like it doesn't always rule out that the person's not into you it might just be like a, a mismatch of some kind but uh you know it depends on your preference and not not all men are super it says when men like you they want to touch you always not all men or people of any gender are super touchy-feely types of people. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just trying to respect your boundaries. You know, I am not going to necessarily – like, I don't really like to have someone assume that they can touch me all of the time. In fact, I'm very much the opposite. I do not want any kind of – I don't mind some, like, physical interaction with people. And if I get asked on a date or – is something I, I'm in a situation that does feel slightly romantic. I don't mind touching and stuff like that, but I don't like excessive touching. I don't. He says something later on. If a man isn't trying to undress you, he's not that into you. He he has a hard time keeping his paws off of you. And honestly, that That's would make me gross. very uncomfortable <laughs> if someone couldn't keep their paws off me. Right? I, what are they doing? What are they doing they, with those paws? I, like I, you know, I am. I fall on that kind of side of that spectrum of. I mean, it takes a while for me to kind of get comfortable with physical closeness and, and touching and stuff like that. And like, I like cuddling and like, I, I like physical touching, but not immediately. And if someone comes on too strong in that kind of area, it's a big turnoff for me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it makes me a little bit, it makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. So, well, I guess the key with both of these sections or with this section is like, if you want to be touched by the person you're in a relationship with, if you want them to have sex or want to have sex with you, if you want those things and you're not getting them, 
perhaps it's not a good fit. <laughs> or try asking and communicating about it, you know? Like, you, you also can't be so much in your head about why isn't someone doing these things. Like, no one's aren't – people aren't mind readers. And this was a problem with the rules that we were just talking about. It was oh, assuming <laughs> that, like, men are these, like, mind readers that if you just – if you just use the right body language and look demure enough or whatever the fuck, that people are just going to know what you're trying to do. And, I mean – I would say, generally speaking, people pick up on body language, but they're not body language experts. And depending on the personality of someone, they might miss those cues. Yeah, they might. So it's not always assumed. And so I don't think that particular rule is necessarily that important. I mean, find someone you can match with, you know, sexually speaking on that spectrum. And then also... Be okay to have those kinds of uncomfortable conversations if for some reason that dynamic changes. But see, that's way longer and not as like pithy as saying like, if he's not having sex with you, he's not that into you. Right. Th yeah. This makes for a much more boring book. <laughs> <laughs> when we kind of go that. <laughs> We'll kind of start moving on with some of this. And this is another, oh, here's a section. He's just not that into you if he's having sex with someone else. There's never going to be a good excuse for cheating. And this, I mean, I can, yeah, I, I can agree with this. So, so cheating is, I define cheating as it's, it's based on honesty. If we have an agreement that we're in a monogamous situation, for example, then activity outside of that and then the hiding of that activity I would consider cheating. Or even, I mean, even not monogamously, any kind of activity that someone feels they have to hide from me mm -hmm. and be dishonest and lie about, that's yeah. what I consider cheating. It's not the physical act of sleeping with someone else. It's lying about it. Right. That makes a ton of sense. And yeah, sexual relationships with other people are, are just one example of that. And it's a very common example. Yeah. That's one of the biggest criticisms of monogamy that a lot of people make is that people have such a hard time uh, staying sexually monogamous in long-term relationships. And that's evidenced by high divorce rates, high rates of cheating. So why don't we all just be honest and put it all out on the table? Yes, we're sometimes attracted to other people besides our partner. And maybe that's all right. Maybe we should talk about it instead of trying to hide it and trying to pretend it doesn't happen. And maybe we should even act on it <laughs> because maybe it could even enhance our existing relationships or whatever. Yeah. And like discuss it with your partner if those feelings are coming up. Again, like communication should be the bedrock. Like sometimes you're going to catch feels for someone else. Sometimes, you know, and, and that's not, that's a human thing. That's not a, it doesn't make you a bad person mm -hmm. if you're in a long-term relationship with someone and maybe things have gotten a bit routine and you're having a hard time not thinking about being intimate with other people. It's a very normal human thing. Oh, but happen. culture treats it like such a bad, bad, shameful thing. You know? Right. They expect you to be this, this weird robot that has no kinds of feelings other than the, you know, towards anyone else other than the person you married. 
because marriage is supposed to impose all of these other things onto you, like, mm. you know, sexual <laughs> strictness and oh, yeah. stuff like that. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be the case, especially if you are, you know, if you do just a little bit of reading and research about open relationships or polyamory or things like that. And again, that's not really a bandage to fix any kind of underlying problems no, you have it in is your not. relationships. It is not. It can make things a lot more complicated, a lot more quick. So, you know, be aware of that. We're not, I'm not trying to be prescriptive about anything. I'm just saying that, you know, again, this book is written for the cultural default and the cultural default is monogamy, which may not be everyone's thing. They say there's never a good excuse for cheating. Well, you could cheat in a monogamous relationship and people do all the time, but you could also cheat in a non-monogamous relationship Mm -hmm. if there's dishonesty involved. And that's what you're saying, MK, is that's the biggest problem for you is dishonesty. No matter what the surrounding circumstances, you want your partner to be honest with you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I've had a personal experience with this where, you know, Mm -hmm. there were, (laughs) there was only one rule in the relationship. And that's, you know, be honest if you have if it comes one up, job. You have one job, <laughs> one rule, the easiest rule. Well, it's not easy. See, I assume it's easy because it's easy for me. Mm-hmm. But if you're a pathological lying piece of shit, then it's not going to be easy for you to talk about <laughs> what you're doing. Woo! Pure baggage time. Laying garbage. out all my baggage on this fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. We're just taking out the trash bags, you know. Just taking out the trash. Yeah. Um, but but again, yeah, I mean, again, that's like a values thing. You want to find someone with the same kind of shared values as you. And if honesty isn't high on their value list. <laughs> Absolutely. Then, uh, but everyone would say that they're honest, right? Like no one really says, oh, yeah, I don't really put a pri- high priority on honesty. You know, like, y- again, you have to look at their actions. Every liar says that, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so you have to look and at And they're lying actions. about it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kind of look at why well, I do kind of want to read a letter. Um, oh, some of these are, are great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Okay, yeah, I'm sure there's there's different there's different scenarios in this one. So, dear Greg, I've been living with my boyfriend for a year. I recently found out about a month ago he slept with someone he worked with twice. The girl told me at a party. I confronted my boyfriend and he confessed. I packed my things and moved to a friend's. He's now calling me constantly, begging me to give him a second chance. He says he doesn't know why he did it, but he promises he'll never do it again. Uh-oh. He really feels bad about it because oh, he got caught. Bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't in the letter. Uh, <laughs> what should I do, Fiona? Dear a month ago. Let's see. He slept with someone else while he was living with you, and you only found out because the girl told you about it. Sounds like a winner. When's the wedding? (laughs) Seriously, let's talk about that special month in your home. In that month, he had sex with someone else twice, came back, and slept in the same bed with you. He was actively hiding his secret from you every time he looked into your eyes. And let's remember, this gentleman didn't confess by his own volition. Skanky the homewrecker did it for him, and- Ooh, Skanky the homewrecker! That's fucking rude. I, I mean, I, at least she told her. She, she told her. The thing is, and I, I never blame the person who basically was the, was the cheaty. Right. Basically. I never blame that person in these situations because very often they're being lied to and manipulated. Exactly. They don't he could know. have told Skanky McCombrecker that he was single. That he was single. And then she found out later that that was a lie. Yeah. He could have told Skanky McCombrecker that he had an open relationship. 
The, and yeah, see, that's a fairly common thing. Oh, it's too. so common. I can't and this count is why how many open times. Relationships get such a bad <laughs> rap. You have so many cheaters who are using it as a way to manipulate people. Right. So, yeah. Oh, we have, my wife and I have an open relationship. I've started asking people when married men tell me, Oh, yeah, my, I'm married, but my wife and I have an open relationship. When they tell that to me, now I say, Oh, cool. Can I, you know, like talk to your wife can about I that? Give her a call yeah, right let's, now. Let's give her a call. And I, I'm really curious to hear more about that because I'm interested in open relationships. So I'd love to hear her perspective on it. They run yeah. away real fast after that. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's my rule too. If someone trots that line out, it's like, okay, why don't we text her caller right now? Yeah. I want to ask her a question about this. <laughs> because it's important for me because I, the last thing that I want to do, despite, you know, identifying as some version of relationship anarchists or polyamorous or whatever i don't want to mess up a relationship it's, oh yeah i like yeah. have no interest i have no need for that complication in my life and i don't want to complicate other people's lives mm-hmm. and hurt them in that kind of way mm-hmm. it's one of just my i'm so completely repulsed by that kind of behavior and it's just not in my value system to do to other people. So I'm a lot more cautious with like, you know, when people say, tell me that line now or whatever, it's, it's not okay. Friend of mine says it's bad karma to, uh, to sleep with somebody who's in a relationship with somebody else. And I, I mean, I kind of ag- agree with that. I, maybe I wouldn't put it in exactly those terms, but I agree. That's not karma. And, it's just logical consequences of what's going to eventually happen. Right. Because even if they then enter a relationship with, with you after cheating on someone else with you, Who's to say that they won't just cheat on you in the future? Then you just switch places with their previous girlfriend or wife, and now you're the one who could get cheated on because they did it once. So cheating cheating only gets easier over time. It does. It tends to be a pattern when people are like, oh, well, once a cheater, always a cheater. Mm -hmm. I do tend to kind of agree with that. Mm -hmm. I do tend to think that, I mean, cheating has a lot of causes. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the causes of it are somewhat complex, or maybe they're just really simple, and that's that. That person <laughs> suffers from selfish asshole syndrome. <laughs> that's right. Diagnosed instead of other like syndromes, maybe they're just an asshole who likes to take what they can get when they think they can get it. And yeah, and get away with it people. when it's expedient, and only feels bad if they get caught. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I cheated on somebody once, but I was under twenty years old. It was I was in it was a high school relationship, and I cheated clearly because I wanted to get out of the relationship, but I didn't feel comfortable breaking up with my boyfriend. So I cheated on him as a way to get out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I he found out I he knew I was cheating on him, or at least he strongly suspected. And eventually we did break up and I felt bad. So I didn't do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would have been less drama if I had just broken up with him. And when there's I, a pattern of behavior, that. that's really the thing. Like over years, when there's like an established pattern of behavior, it gets harder and harder to not do. It does feel really bad. So let's see. The next one, the next letter is... Dear Greg, I've been dating a guy for about two years, and I thought things were going really well. After he came home from a family visit, he told me he slept with someone he met at a bar. I was devastated and asked him why he did it. He told me I'd put on some weight, and therefore he wasn't attracted to me anymore. I'm confused. He's right. I have put on about 20 pounds. Should I break up with him or start going to the gym? Oh, my God. And, like, this is... I mean, he was honest. It sounds like a... 
or you crass could thing that made or you say. could say that yes she, he may be objectively right that she has gained some weight but what it sounds like to me is that he's using that as an excuse to justify his shitty behavior yes and flip it around on her and say oh well it's really your fault that i put my dick in somebody else <laughs> yeah and that's a bit so greg's response is great Dear 20 pounds, I definitely think you should lose 175 pounds in the form of your loser boyfriend. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> not, not the 20 that you're talking about. He just cheated on you and called you fat. How many low self-esteem protein shakes can one person drink? <laughs> yeah. God, using your weight as an excuse for his cheating is not only mean, but simply not valid. If he has a problem with anything in your relationship, he is supposed to talk to you about it, not put his penis in a strange vagina about it. And by the way, how's he going to react if you ever get pregnant or grow older and get a few wrinkles or wear a color he doesn't like? Get rid of this loser or I'm coming to your house to get rid of him for you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I definitely think you should lose 175 pounds in the form of your <laughs> asshole boyfriend. Exactly. Yeah, again, communication. You know, if if they're if you're struggling with certain things, talk about it. Find the tools to talk about it if you can't. I mean, it's I right. don't know. No and one it's, naturally it's has the, these skills. You know, no one's naturally born a good communicator. It takes a lot of effort. That's true. But I mean, people do learn these patterns of abuse. I mean, like what that boyfriend said actually sounds really manipulative and abusive to me because that's something that abusers do. They make you think that it's your fault. Well, yes. you, you made me hit you. I wouldn't have hit you if you hadn't given me lip like that. Right. You know, exactly. They, and then they get in your head and they convince you that you did something to make them do something bad to you. And it's actually your fault. And that's why abuse is so insidious. I think, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, she's glad to get rid of this guy because mm -hmm. he would just keep escalating that behavior, I think. Yeah, like what Greg said was great. It's like, well, what happens if you get pregnant or when you get older? I right, mean, right. It's, well, it was really my fault that he hit me. I burned his dinner after all. Yeah, yeah. So Pretty um, soon you're making those kinds of excuses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can go through more letters, but I think the gist of this is all... God, these are shitty. <laughs> oh, there's so many, so there's many, so many shitty stories of things, cheating like, asshole husbands and men. Like, basically, the thing is, when, when it comes to cheating, it is not your fault right. for being cheated on. It's never your fault. Cheating has to do with the person who's doing the cheating. Whatever kind of issues they have, whatever kind of shit they're going through, it is never your fault. You're never to blame. And it's, yeah, it's not a valid excuse. Right. And as far as whether or not they're that into you, yeah, I mean, cheating is you a don't way want an to abuser express. You don't want an abuser. Who's but, that into you? <laughs> yeah, well, and cheating is a way, I mean, that is probably the most obvious way to express that someone's not into you. Yeah. Because yeah. they can't even be honest with you. Mm -hmm. If they can't even be honest with you, they don't care enough to make that effort. They yep. don't care enough to like put in the work to build a solid relationship with you. So don't waste your time. I mean, you know, maybe if you get some therapy or something, I don't know, like I can't speak for everyone. Maybe some of this stuff can be rehabilitated or whatever, but I mean, your time is very short and very valuable. Yeah. So don't waste it on people who aren't going to have the same standards for behavior as you are. Mm-hmm. Moving on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see. What's the next role? 
Ooh, he's just not that into you if he only wants to see you when he's drunk. Oh. Or on other drugs, I, I would add. Huh. Well, that one, the first thing I thought of, um, yes, I can totally think of heterosexual relationships where, you know, uh, somebody only texts you at 2 a.m. when they're totally shit-faced, <laughs> you know, and they don't really make it a priority to contact you when they're sober, or maybe they never are sober, and the whole thing, and you actually realize that you've never actually seen them sober in the whole time that you've known each other, and then maybe they have a problem with alcohol, but... I actually think um, he's just not that into you if he only wants to see you when he's drunk. I think that has a special application to gay relationships because, you know, it could be that some people aren't out and they aren't out to themselves. And the only mm. way they can they can let that queerness out that's inside of them is with the help of a little alcohol, which does lower inhibitions and allows people to do things that they wouldn't normally do because they're repressing them or something. That's an interesting point. I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. um, because if you are repressing your sexuality or gender or whatever it is, when you or do, your kinky freak side, or your kinky freak <laughs> side, like when you do take in certain substances that make you feel less inhibitions, then you can kind of be yourself more and you can kind of open up. So, but presumably, like if you uh, are at a different place, like if you're, let's say, for example, an out gay person and you want a relationship with another out gay person who's worked out all their issues and is not going to be denying who they are anymore to the world or whatever. Um, if you want somebody who's also out of the closet, but yet you meet somebody and the only time they act gay is when they're drunk and they're ashamed to be seen with you in public and they don't want to introduce you to their family and stuff, then that could be a big problem. One Mississippi did a good episode on this. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I oh, just that's the Tig Notaro special, show, yeah. Which, like, again, I mean, maybe people are already have already seen this show. I, I, like, stumbled across it more recently and, like, binge-watched all of it. But they have an episode where Tig goes on a date with a closeted lesbian uh, or bisexual and, you know, she's acting one way when they're together privately, but then is acting a different way when they're public because she's not completely out. Mm. And that's a problem. And it, it's very, very difficult to be out. I'm not going to say everyone should be out all the time. Like, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean, I was out and then I recloseted mm -hmm. in my marriage and then I came out again. I mean, that's how much kind of stigma and pressure that I was facing. And it was very, very, very difficult to be out or in the closet. Mm. You catch yeah. different levels of shit no matter what you're doing. Yeah. You know? And ultimately, you just have to do what's going to give you the best sense of security and safety. Totally. You know, I would never There can be a rock in the closet and a hard place out just outside the door, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it is a difficult thing. However, if you're clearly, you know, so out, you know, <laughs> and you're, you're beyond that point in your life where you can even consider going back in the closet or whatever, and you're looking for a partner who's the same, who wouldn't mind, you know, like you want to meet each other's families and social circles and friends and blah, blah, blah. And more, moreover, you want a partner who accepts that 
queerness about themselves. You know, sometimes the biggest problem is that the person isn't out to themselves. You know, right, and yeah. that they they don't even accept that they are actually gay or bi or queer or trans or whatever. That can create a lot of problems because sometimes they will seek those gay relationships or those queer relationships. But really, they won't claim that identity in any other way. And it's very confusing for the gay person. It's like, okay, well, what what am I? You know, like for the person who's actually out, who they seek out as a partner, often people who are closeted, like kind of to themselves or are not sure or questioning their sexuality will seek out somebody who is highly visible and out as a partner because they that person is like a beacon. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay, this is what my life could be like if I went down that path and actually came out. Let's see what it's like over there, mm-hmm. you know? And so those types of relationships can happen. And sometimes the person who is out is really wary about them because they might not want to be that person's training wheels. You know, they might not yeah. want to, they might not want to coach them through the whole coming out process or they want, they might want somebody who's more sure of themselves that they actually are queer and they're willing to claim that identity and own it and live their life accordingly. As complex as struggling with being in or out of the closet is, at some point, if you are comfortable in your own sexuality and who you are, you owe it to yourself to have the self-respect to not be someone's secret, I Mm. think. Yeah. I, I, I think it's not fair to you to have to hide who you are because someone else has not grappled with their own sexuality yeah i agree you know That's it's fair. it's not really fair and i mean obviously there are complex situations that can kind of be around this if you live in certain areas it can be dangerous or maybe there's like family dynamics or something like that but ultimately if someone's trying to hide you from other people you know like their maybe friends, they're just for not, example, not that are, into you <laughs> yeah maybe they're just not that into you right and that's a good metric and you know or maybe you're seen as some kind of novelty thing to you and no one wants to be that no it's kind of objectifying right like you feel like the person's piece on the side that they can just pick up and put down whenever they feel like it and you really have no agency about it you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when it comes to substances so let's kind of we'll redirect it back to maybe heterosexual interactions Mm -hmm. um you know someone's only into you when they're on certain substances yes there's something to be said for lowering your inhibitions and being able to feel more free about expressing your feelings in those settings and circumstances but if that's the only time they're reaching out to you Mm -hmm. that's a huge red flag yeah exactly they're not able how repressed are they in their regular life (laughs) in their regular life and and why can't they see you I mean, when I, I mean, I love partying, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love, (laughs) I I believe that substances can greatly enhance my life. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of a variety of substances and I like to have a good time and all of that. But ultimately, when it comes down to someone that I'm really into, I need to be able to enjoy them. When I'm not partying, you know, I like to be around them when I'm sober and clear-minded and Mm. you know i need to have that same level of equal level almost of affection and desire to be around someone and if you can't be around someone when you're not on drugs that's a bad sign definitely it really is you're not thinking you don't want someone who becomes a completely different person when they have certain substances and you don't want 
to have to rely on them doing those substances to become the person you want to date. Exactly, exactly. Because you're never going to have an honest representation of that person if you're only seeing them when they're on certain substances. Mm Mm-hmm. Whether it's alcohol or anything else. Now, you're, you're probably the first one who is willing to recognize this. Alcoholics can be really tricky. They yes. are very good at lying. They're very good at functioning often and making it not very obvious that they actually have a big problem with drinking. Addicts in general, I would say. Yep. You know, I think it all falls under similar umbrella of actions and consequences and the lying and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. But they they do. They get very good at keeping up a facade and making sure nobody points out or notices that it's actually a much bigger problem than they're willing to let on. So one thing that Greg suggests is that get a count, get like a paper calendar. And (laughs) if you have somebody who you think might, if you're dating someone and you think they might have a problem with alcohol, put a little clown face on the calendar every time you see them. And then color in the clown's nose every time they're drunk or on some other kind of drugs during the time. And if you then look back at the month and you see that every time you see that clown, his nose is red, (laughs) there might be a problem there. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, drugs are fun. (laughs) They're a lot of fun. But ultimately, you don't want to be with someone who's always impaired because they're not really their true selves. As as uninhibited as you can be when on certain substances and as real as someone can feel when they're on certain substances, like, oh, this is the full expression of my real self. <laughs> really, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. not. Don't it's you want really someone not. who can be fun and entertaining and connect can connect with you without the aid of those substances? Exactly. I love doing fun stuff. I mean, soberly. Yeah, there are there's so many sober people who can have a really good time and like show you a really good time and who are really in touch with their emotions and can fully be themselves while sober. And again, I'm not saying you have to be a sober person or anything like that, but (laughs) it's a red flag. It's a red flag if someone only wants to be around you when they're drunk. You owe it to yourself to have the kind of self-respect to find someone like if if you're someone who only likes to partake recreationally with things and otherwise you're a functioning adult who realizes you have to have a degree of sobriety to get through life (laughs) (laughs) that if you can do it they should be able to (laughs) they should be able to also you can it's okay to have those standards for yourself and other people (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, this is this might be a good one to read the the pot lawyer. Oh, okay. So here here's one of the here's an example of the letter. Dear Greg, my boyfriend is a lawyer and happens to smoke pot every night. When he does, he acts and talks just like he does when he's sober. I guess it's weird that he's always high and I'm not, but it doesn't seem to be an issue with us. My friends think it's weird that I'm dating a pothead, but it's not like he's really acting like a pothead, so what does it matter? I can't imagine how this has anything to do with how into me he is or not. Right? (laughs) This is, like, relatable as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) You've You've been in a relationship like this? I mean, like, I've been the pothead. <laughs> and were, how in- were you doing it because you weren't that into the person you were spending? Really no, with? I just really liked pot. Okay, so you were just and more so in- the you were really into the with. pot. We were both just really into smoking pot. <laughs> but no, to be fair, later on, as the relationship did start deteriorating, 
I did use it as a bit of a crutch to mm-hmm. escape some bad shit that was going on. I would say that, I mean, anyone listening to this podcast should be fairly obvious that I'm a, a bit of a cannabis enthusiast. I don't really hide <laughs> that because I don't really think of it as a drug. I think of it as a plant. <laughs> I think it of it as mostly plant. medicine. I use it medicinally. Yeah, but it can be abused just like anything else can. So let's see what Greg has to say. Dear High Times, wrong! Okay, Greg. <laughs> well, hear Greg him out. Greg says, I'll hear him out. Wrong. Let's take a quick health ed class on what pot does to the brain. Smoking pot makes your brain work slower and makes you less in tune with your surroundings and more introverted. Mm, Greg, these are different strains. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I, I take issue with this response. Science, science-based, whatever. Okay. It dulls your senses and clouds and impairs your sense of reality. So he's always stoned when he's with you. That really means he likes you more when there's less of you. You're going out with someone who doesn't enjoy you at your full levels. That's tantamount to him liking you better when you're in the other room. That doesn't mean that he's not into you. It just means he likes his pot better than you. By the way, if he ever got arrested for pot, he would most likely lose his license because criminals are not allowed to be officers of the court. So at least you're Jerking in good off company motion. <laughs> because he likes pot better than his job, too. Yeah, I'm doing the, like, jerk-off motion throughout this whole response because, yes, there are legal concerns with pot smoking. Mm-hmm. Especially when this was written. When there was, was written, There was no state where it was, it was totally legal. Illegal. Everywhere it was always illegal. And, yeah, for a person who is a lawyer, who knows, like, he could be a prosecutor or something. He could be prosecuting people for the same exact thing that he does every night. That would be shitty. It would be That'd really be shitty. super shitty. Yeah. Or he could yeah. be a criminal defense attorney or something like that, and he could be defending people. who We don't know what kind of lawyer he was. Or he could be like an immigration lawyer or something. I mean, if I was a lawyer, I'd have to smoke weed every night to deal with that. <laughs> Yeah. I I feel like I feel like most lawyers have some kind of coping mechanism in the form of some substance cuz So so is there I, a lot of shit. I I will say there is a difference between someone who has an addiction to weed and someone who needs it to kind of cope versus someone who maybe uses it recreationally or medicinally. And there there's a lot that's a whole spectrum of itself. I don't know. I mean, I just have my own personal experience to draw from with this stuff. I think in the relationship I was in where we were both potheads, yeah, maybe there were some aspects of using pot to not have to deal with certain problems because we were less confrontational and we maybe didn't want to talk about those problems as much. And it did kind of maybe become a bit of a crutch. And sometimes we would, obviously, we would act differently than when we were totally sober. There is that aspect of it, but also as someone who, you know, medicinally uses it and sometimes recreationally, I don't know that I... Do you think the mismatch between them is a problem? Because she never smokes weed and he smokes it every single night, literally. There might be a bit of a mismatch there. I can see your point. There might be a bit of a mismatch, but I mean... Pot is something to me, I think when this book was written, people had a different way of thinking about it. I think they thought of it and and it can be abused and it can be a serious problem, but it is not as hard of a drug as I think Greg is kind of making it out to be in this response. I really don't think it warrants the same. Like if someone had to drink every single night. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I would think that there was was a a more serious problem or if someone had to do like 
crack or heroin every night. <laughs> like that would be. Pretty sure like, you don't do crack at night because it's gonna. Yeah, keep you right, right. Night. Well, there's like degrees of severity, right? I mean, well, for me, I'm someone who is pretty much a complete like high on life person. You know, like I don't smoke cannabis. I don't use any kind of. I don't even drink alcohol. Like I've, I've really, the only drug I use on a regular basis daily is caffeine. And it would be a problem for me to have a partner that I lived with who every time it was the nighttime. And if that was like our time that we would spend together, cause we worked outside the home, it would be a problem for me if every time they were smoking weed every night they were smoking weed and I wasn't, I would think that was a problem. Hmm. Because I would think that they'd rather be, you know, high than like spend time with me sober. Hmm. I mean, I guess I could see that. I like, I, you know, th- there could be a bit of a mismatch there. I think if it's, I, I think, think the it becomes a problem is- if it if it starts impeding the development of the relationship and interfering with your career and your professionalism mm-hmm. and things like that. I, I have seen cannabis use become very problematic for people to where it interferes with their lives Mm -hmm. and their relationships with people. And I think that's the gauge here. She doesn't say that he's acting any different. And I think that's kind of the key. I mean, it's if someone's high to the point where you can't have a conversation with them, then that's a huge, that's obviously a huge problem. If someone's high and you can't even tell that might be less of a problem. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like she she's saying his personality isn't changing that much and it doesn't she uses the term well, pothead how- but she doesn't gauge the excessiveness of the use. I mean, does he if he's smoking so much to where he can't function and is a totally different person, then that's a problem. If he comes home at night and smokes a bowl, and it's a routine, he he comes in and like it's a small amount of cannabis use. It doesn't last very long. It wears off and then, you know, in an hour or so, you're basically dealing with a sober person. That's not a problem, I don't think. I I think, especially if you're a lawyer, that's a pretty high-stress job. Cannabis, regardless of what Greg is saying, you know, scientifically here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he might be self-medicating something. He might be self-medicating something and it can, maybe he's having stress or pain or something like that. Again, more science has come out since this book was written that shows that cannabis use in certain forms can be very beneficial to you. Again, the problem is abusing something, not use of something, you know, and and how that affects the relationship and how he's treating you. Is he treating you differently when he's on substances? Then that's the, the real problem, I think. So let's see. Speaking of cannabis, I got the munchies. You got the munchies. We should probably wrap this up so we can get some food. Um, (laughs) Do you want to tackle? Let me look at the the things again. Maybe we could just give our final thoughts about like these two books and about what would our advice be to single women? So I want to find maybe one more section to cover. What do you think? Okay, sure. So yeah, we're going to wrap this up because this is already a long one. And we're going to move on to the last section called He's Just Not That Into You If He's a Selfish Jerk, a Bully, or a Really Big Freak. And I may take issue with that last statement. (laughs) Because not all freaks are bad What do they mean by freak? What do they mean by freak? I guess we'll find out. I mean, jerk and bully, yes, I can get behind. (laughs) I'm going to read just a portion of this intro and then I'll read the letter. 
He's got so much good in him. He really does. I just wish he wouldn't tell me to shut up all the time. Yeah, that's a problem. Try not to ignore it. I know he's got so many other great qualities. That's why you fell in love with him in the first place. I know you wouldn't fall in love with an asshole. But here's the trick. Forget about him and his good qualities. Even forget about his bad ones. Forget about all his excuses and what he promises. Ask yourself one question only. Is he making you happy? People are complicated. They are a mixed bag of lovable and dysfunctional qualities. That that is a pretty good metric. I want this this <laughs> this letter is pretty good. They go, Dear Greg, my boyfriend is selfish. He says he loves me and he does include me in his life. We are close to each other's families and he's a very good man in many ways. But we've been living together for four years and he never shares household responsibilities, doesn't put any effort into going on nice dates with me, doesn't make a big deal about my birthday, never brings me flowers, won't walk the dog, rarely compliments me, doesn't thank me when I make a nice dinner for him and his friends, isn't that affectionate, and doesn't want to go on nice vacations with me. We talk about it all the time, and he swears that he's trying to change, but his changes are pretty imperceptible. <laughs> the question is, can he really love me as much as he says he does and be this much of a dick? Holla. <laughs> Girl, you got a roommate. Yeah, exactly. Not a, a roommate who doesn't even walk the dog. A roommate who doesn't like, even clean up after himself. You, you right. have a child. Yeah, basically. a child and you're his maid. And you're his maid. And then like, I love Greg's response. Dear a dick did. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Take your letter, hold it up, and read it to yourself and a friend. If you can't figure out the answer, call the cops because someone's had their brains stolen. <laughs> P.S. The answer to your question is no. People who are in love with each other generally try to be nice. Some even get a kick out of treating their mate well and trying to make their life better. He may think he loves you, and maybe he does, but he's really bad at it, and it's exactly the same result as if he was just not that into you. That's a good response. That yeah. is a really good response. Relationships take effort on both or all sides. Mm-hmm. And if someone's not pulling their weight, and again, complicated things happen. Sometimes you go through a rough patch, but four years is a long time. To not even walk the fucking dog. To not even walk the dog and put in any kind of effort. And if you're communicating your needs to someone, it becomes the same argument over and over and it goes on for years and years. That person's not going to change. They've gotten comfortable with taking you for granted mm -hmm. and having you clean up after them like they're a little selfish child and you deserve a partner not a baby i, I mean, love it i love your answer yeah you, you, if you want kids that's your thing you can have kids but your kids should not be your partner your kids shouldn't be grown-ass men a permanent baby who a will never grow baby. up <laughs> yeah I, and i think that's a a really good way to kind of wrap this up you know stop making excuses for people if someone really wants to be with you, they're going to put in an effort. And, you know, it's our nature sometimes to be forgiving with people when they're going through a lot of shit. But ultimately, there's only so much shit you can go through before it becomes obvious that this is just like a personality trait of someone. And that's how they're going to be for most of their life. Sometimes people think that they have to hide the fact that they're a selfish asshole and they try a lot harder in the beginning of a relationship. But once they feel that they've got you like trapped or invested in the relationship, they just stop trying completely and completely take you for granted. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, to circle back to the beginning of this segment, you know, that's something that I think is one of the arguments for polyamory that people make is that people in monogamous relationships, it's easy to start taking each other for granted because you're kind of locked in and you're committed to it. And you don't have to work to keep the other person interested in you or to keep their affection because you've got them. You've got them legally bound (laughs) if you're married. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, I mean, I can certainly see that point. But at the same time, yes, relationships are an ongoing effort. No matter if you're monogamous or not, they're an ongoing effort. They take work to maintain. It's not like you can just commit to somebody and then you have to do zero work or you can just let it all go and become a completely different person and stop trying, stop putting forth effort to make their life better and easier and to show your love for them. Yeah, I guess just don't take your partner for granted. Right. Yeah. And and don't think that you can get away with that shit of just completely <laughs> like stopping doing any work on the relationship once you're in a relationship. Right. And relationships are endlessly complex. I don't claim to be a relationship expert. I've never even talked about the subject. I don't <laughs> write about the subject. I don't really – I mean, I think about it sometimes. I've put a lot of effort into trying to figure out what I want and what I don't want out of relationships and how I can improve myself and what my needs are and how to get better at communication and all of that. But I'm not perfect and I don't think there's any – perfect formula for relationships, but I think there are some standards that you have to have. And I think this book, much better than the other one, actually sets forth some pretty decent standards. It's not perfect, whatever, but I think it sets out some pretty good standards. And I think especially this one that, you know, don't be an asshole principle kind of thing (laughs) applies to anyone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Any gender, any relationship type. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think everyone could benefit from doing things to raise their self-esteem so they don't fall into the same kind of traps, especially if you've already been in abusive situations. It's that much easier for you to fall into those traps. I definitely speak from personal experience with that. I've made very poor relationship choices in my life, and I've put up with a lot of unnecessary bullshit. But, you know, I'm getting better, hopefully, and I'm putting up with less and less shit over time, and I'm making less and less excuses That's good. for people. That's really good. Put up with less and less shit over time. Everyone should make that their mantra. You're Yeah, you're a valuable person. Your time is meaningful, and you don't have to take shit from anyone. You don't deserve to be cleaning up the kitchen and walking the dog by yourself, girl. Yeah. Or boy, or queer. Or anyone. <laughs> or envy. Any, anyone, like, yeah. Hopefully everyone can kind of find that degree of self-respect that allows them to be healthy and not put up with bullshit from people and have clear boundaries and a better understanding of people's behavior if they're just not that into you. If your goal is to find someone, (laughs) you know, you don't have to throw out your standards just because you really want to be with people. So I think that's a good way to kind of wrap the show up. We kind of covered a lot of topics with this. And I love the relationship advice thing. You know, when I started a podcast about relationships in 2008 or nine or something like that. Oh, God. Yeah, you're actually a pro at this. This Well, but I wasn't when I first started. And I don't think I am now even. I mean, I've read a lot about relationships and I've had a lot of relationships, but I don't know that that makes me any kind of an expert in particular. Certainly not when I started my podcast, (laughs) but I just, it's just fun to talk about and you learn a lot through talking about it. So I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we did too. And I hope that the people listening 
got value from it. And I hope you enjoyed it too, because I think we're gonna listen back to this and we're gonna think it's goddamn funny. I, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we had a really good time, and yeah. So thanks, Doctor Stephanie Murphy, for joining me on this awesome podcast. Oh. And yeah, you have had a lot of experience in this field, and you've you've done a show about it. You did pork therapy, and mm-hmm. you've done relationship rhombus, which is like another <laughs> sex and science <laughs> hour segment. too. Is uh, my podcast. You can catch me on there and we do answer we do try to answer at least one relationship question every week yes so yes yeah. yeah, so thank you mk for having me on the show this is so much fun oh Yay! yeah i had such a good time oh my god it was awesome and high five high five high five yay <laughs> and we're gonna be doing more shows together soon so stay tuned for that and I'll, i will see you next time <laughs>